Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded, a podcast all about creating visibility, paths for growth, and opportunity for entrepreneurs. We focus on those entrepreneurs who are statistically underrepresented in the startup ecosystem. Your hosts are Zena Island, president of X Plus PR, a media relations agency, angel investor Aurelia Flores, managing member of Athena Digital Media Group, a digital marketing agency, and angel investor Christina Francis, president of Esteem Logic, an information technology consulting and training firm. In each episode, you will meet a new startup founder, hear about their company and where they are now. We then focus on one key challenge facing that entrepreneur, a challenge that is common among startups. Each episode also features a guest expert to weigh in on the challenge. Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded. Welcome back to another episode of Get Found, Get Funded, and this is your co-host, Zena Island. And today's topic, unique partnerships between OEMs and startups. Do you remember the first time you Ubered? Just 10 years ago, the concept of on-demand ride sharing did not really exist. If someone told me that I'll be comfortable and come to expect the ease of scheduling a stranger to pick me up and drop me off, I'll say they were insane because my parents taught me as a kid to never ride with strangers. <laughs> but here we are, Uber is now a verb. And the changes in transportation off options and overall mobility has changed the way we live, work, engage in activities. Some automobile manufacturers have even seen a decrease in car owner ownership. The ride-sharing industry is currently valued at $61.3 billion and is expected to grow to $218 billion by 2025. The automotive and complementary industries are witnessing culture-shifting transformation to new mobility trends. In fact, we are seeing an increase in the number of car makers funding digital and technology startups. As a result, in today's ever-changing environment, it becomes increasingly important for startups and original equipment manufacturers, OEMs, to build a strategic partnership approach allowing more innovation and potential revenue streams. Today we are talking to Miguel Payan, founder of Mobark Advisors, focusing on the mobility space. He is also the former global head of strategy of Ford Mobile at Ford Motor Company. We are also speaking with Patrice Darby of GoNanny, a Chicago-based company merging childcare with technology and ride sharing in order to create a world whose pa where parents do not have to choose between building a strong family and building a strong career. We will learn more about the trends in mobility and discuss the inclusion of companies like GoNanny in the mobility ecosystem and tips on how startups might position to partner with and or get funded by OEMs. Miguel and Patrice, thank you for coming to the show. And Miguel, you are here in person. Thank you for coming into our studios. And Patrice, you're on the phone. Thank you. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So 
What do we mean by mobility, Miguel? I'm still trying to understand this. I grew up in Detroit, Michigan. <laughs> I know all about Ford Motor Company. My father awesome. retired from there, and now I'm, I'm doing some contract work, work for them. So the only thing I know about mobility really are cars. So, so to explain mobility, a little bit more about this. Absolutely. Mobility is a very simple concept. How do you move more easily from point A to point B? And that goes to people and for goods as well. That's ba the basic concept. Can you help set the stage a bit and share with Patrice and our listeners what we mean by mobility and what do you consider as the new mobility ecosystem? So that's where things start getting a little more complex. Mm -hmm. So while the, complex, the concept is really easy to understand, moving freely and easily from point A to point B, there are a lot of ecosystem stakeholders that play in that, in that equation. There's uh, infrastructure providers, there are technology providers, enablers, there are the OEMs and the companies that manufacture the vehicles, uh, technologists that are coming up and evolving pretty fast from cybersecurity to autonomous vehicles to connectivity uh, to payments. The trick here is to understand how all of these new ecosystem elements established and evolving actually work together and integrate to make moving easier. So I have a quick question for you. My <clears throat> father, as I mentioned to you, he's 81 years old. He retired from Ford Motor Company about 20 years ago. And he told me that there were some big changes coming to the tar car industry. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, huh? and I'm looking back, I'm like, how did he know this? Did you know or that these trends were coming in terms of tech? It was, uh, so the answer is no. Uh, technology has far leap ahead of what people thought you know, technology was going to be you know, 20 years ago. And so now you have artificial intelligence and you have machine learning, concepts that even experts uh, at times have difficulty understanding and, and explaining. And so today we are at a point in, in the technology spectrum that we didn't envision 20 years ago. Uh, that type of technology evolution is what has created the opportunity for the ecosystem stakeholders to say, hmm, where is the opportunity here for me? And how is it that I play across the, the ecosystem? How, how is it that I integrate all these different elements to serve my purpose? That's awesome. So the use of lo location data services, advanced human machine interaction, cybersecurity, uh, driver safety and mapping solutions, you, you know, we're, we are in this age right now. So can you explain how all this yeah. is working and how do you plan to move forward with it? So we are in this stage right now, uh, but it's early days. It is uh, uh, several technologies that have been already implemented in vehicles today that we call connected vehicles, mostly around safety and security. So if you're falling asleep on the road uh, and you're veering off from your lane, the car will automatically already sort of put you back on the lane, or will inform you if you're getting too close from a different vehicle. Uh, eventually, uh, the idea is that you won't have to do this on your own. You'll have the vehicle do all of these things for you, while uh, you, you know, take time back to use productivity solutions or entertainment solutions or comfort solutions in vehicle, while the vehicle is taking care of the safety and security of the driving. So how does ride sharing <clears throat> change the way that automotive companies 
and me, maybe even you as a mobility expert and somebody who's advising around mobility solutions and, and the ecosystem, how does that play in? Uh, so it has a huge impact on how the automotive industry looks ahead and how they plan their own uh, business. Uh, ride sharing and ride hailing uh, were, were concepts that 10 years ago when Uber came up, as you said, people were like, what is that? I will never use it. Uh, now, these are businesses you mentioned, Sheena, at the beginning, it, Ubering is a verb, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, yes. It is part of our daily lives, and specifically to the business that Patrice is in, uh, caring, moving children. Uh, for parents, and I think we're all parents here, for parents that are busy, dual-income families that just cannot get out of the office to pick up their kids, take them to soccer or swimming or whatever, uh, the types of services around sharing, ride-sharing are very, very helpful. I'm not a parent, but I can only imagine just, just getting my own self out of the house <laughs> and dealing with one, a dog is enough right there. So Now, the, the way that OEMs are thinking about the space is uh, pretty important because they're the ones that supply the vehicles for these companies to uh, do what they need to do. Now, when you are an OEM, you think about will my sales of vehicles go down because now you have this uh, other companies providing services. At the end of the day, as an OEM, you're still providing the fleet for those services. So your sales may transfer from individuals to now fleets, uh, not necessarily go down in volume. Right. Actually, there are forecasts that say the OEM production will continue to be pretty stable, you know, uh, not too many swings over the next 10 years or so. Even when AVs come to the, the uh, to be a reality, uh, these companies still need to produce those AVs. Somebody has to manufacture those things, and so the, uh, there will always be a role for the OEM. And Ubers still require cars, so you have, you've got to have something that to get true. into, or a Lyft, or whatever. Yeah, and I mean, I think this year is particularly interesting with the IPOs of both yeah, Lyft and Uber, right? Amazing. So we're kind of seeing how the um, investment community is seeing these companies as, as well. Well, I'm sure we'll come back to and dive more into what mobility is and how it works and all of that kind of thing. But in thinking about OEMs and startups, <clears throat> Miguel, how does partnering with or investing in startups help automobile companies and OEMs remain responsive to the change in new mobility systems or see what's coming? What does what is, what is that partnership look like and what are the driving forces behind it? So let me start with why do OEMs partner yeah. with startups or acquire startups? The reason for that is OEMs have been in a very predictable industry for, in the case of Ford, for example, over 100 years. And so they had their systems, their uh, processes, their forecasting tools and methods are set for manufacturing of these vehicles. Uh, and their core business is manufacturing and selling vehicles. And so when you have this really rapid and emerging mobility ecosystem in some ways threatening their business model, uh, they need to inject uh, innovation via the startup ecosystem. That's where the startups play a really key role, not only for Ford, but for all the other OEMs. You've seen them invest uh, anywhere from incubation to seed investments to development to acquisitions. Uh, and they do that because they, again, uh, the OEMs aren't able to innovate as fast 
aren't able to try things as fast. And so that startup ecosystem presents a really good opportunity to try new business models, uh, invest a little bit of, of capital and resources into things that may play out or may not, right? So uh, it, it really is a good, uh, a good match of, of capabilities. Well, so there are some examples, right? So BMW acquired Park Mobile, a mobile parking payment app mm -hmm. that I myself have on my phone. <laughs> um, Daimler acquired Flink, a ride-sharing app. Ford invested in Desktop Metal, a 3D metal printing company. Are there others examples, or do you want to just even talk about those and how they represent some of this change? Because like you said, it's injecting innovation. It's mm -hmm. giving them insight into what's coming or what might be coming. And it's also, I would guess, a relatively low-cost way to see what might work and what might fail. Yeah, so other acquisitions include cloud uh, solutions where you could envision uh, cloud solutions ingesting all the data around a city ecosystem from traffic lights to traffic patterns to even the information from our mobile phones as we're walking through the streets. All this uh, information goes to a cloud, gets analyzed pretty quickly, gets sent back to the environment, and there's a reaction from either a vehicle or a smart infrastructure or something like that. Uh, so OEMs are investing in those type of solutions. Um, another one that we didn't mention is the investment that's going, and the partnerships, by the way, between OEMs that, that, is, that are going into AV companies mm -hmm. and sure. the development of visual driving system, uh, virtual driving systems. There's, if you, look, if, you were, if you were to map that in series of interactions, you would see that everyone uh, is playing with each other to mitigate risk, to lower the, the, the cost of uh, investing in this type of startups. They're super expensive, so uh, if you have two or three more OEMs that can pony up a little bit of cash, it's much better than you ponying up two, three billion dollars. Right? Sure. Um, so that's another part of the ecosystem that, um, uh, that sees a lot of partnerships. And remember that I said at the beginning that part of the ecosystem elements are related to the Internet of Things and sensors and those kinds of things. Well, now you're seeing a lot of partnerships between telcos that are companies that are deploying uh, the, the 5G spectrum, uh, which is supposed to be revolutionizing the speed at which we can get information in, uh, in uh, mobile devices. Uh, you see a lot of partnerships going on in that space with IoT, with this city data ingestion solutions, with vehicle companies. So it's a, it's a spaghetti, if you will, of partnerships and, and relationships. Yeah, and this is Christina. So thanks for that, Miguel. It's amazing to see so much innovation. As you mentioned, the partnerships <clears throat> that are taking place in an industry that you described has been pretty predictable, right, for 100 years. And so really seeing the industry change as well as seeing our culture and expectations change right before our eyes. Um, so I want to add Patrice Darby to the conversation, uh, CEO of GoNanny. Uh, Patrice, can you tell us a little bit more about GoNanny and what led you to found the company? Absolutely. So I am second-generation childcare expert. Um, my parents are first, and they've been in the childcare industry for 35 years. Um, and so I grew up really immersed in this sector um, and then went and got my bachelor's degree 
and education with an emphasis on communications and adolescent psychology. So um, throughout my time in Chicago, you know, a very metropolitan, busy city, um, we, um, I experienced a lot of um, challenges with getting kids to and from. So I started off as a nanny, you know, and throughout my time here, I'm nanny for four nanny agencies. Um, I've nannied for over 40 families and then um, branched out into the um, back into the school sector with a program director for 126 kids, hired and trained staff, and then rewrote the curriculum. So I've been really involved in this space. And what I've noticed is the pain point of, you know, how do I get, when a mom says, how do I get a child from point A to point B? She's actually not talking about the vehicle per se. She's talking about the person. She's talking about how do I identify a safe, trustworthy person that can get my kid, child to and from. Um, and so how Go Nanny came in is that, you know, we identify the person um, and put them through this um, proprietary patent pending system called Go Nanny Safe. Um, and doing that, we're able to find high-qualified, trustworthy people. But the challenge is most of these people don't own vehicles. Um, and so, you know, we are working to solve this problem. It's a big problem, um, especially in the city of Chicago. And this is Zena. I was a little surprised to hear that Chicago, on our previous uh, calls, that Chicago, a lot of people are ditching their cars. And you moved from Detroit as well. Uh, I, I, yes. I remember, and, and, and you moved to Chicago where you're like, Detroit, they, we, we love our cars. We won't let go. I still won't <laughs> let go of my car. I live in D.C. Yeah. And I refuse to let go of my car. So can you talk a little bit more about what's happening around the Chicago area? Because it sounds like very similar to what's going on in the East Coast. Absolutely. So I actually, um, to, you know, share it in the story is that um, we were recruiting a couple of weeks ago and we ran into this girl. She has a bachelor's of education, has six years working in a school system and wanted to branch out. So she was considering, you know, um, becoming a GoNanny. Um, we were, we took her through the entire GoNanny phase. She passed, you know, flying colors, a great, great seller person for a go-nanny position. We ended up turning her down because she had just moved from Michigan, and before she moved, she sold her car. So she uses the train and buses to move around Chicago. However, trains and buses don't help us um, with our goal of getting kids safely to and from um, after-school programs, STEM programs, uh, sports activities, because there's a time, it's time sensitive, right? They have, there's a short amount of time in between school ending and program starting. Um, and so we had to decline her and we couldn't hire her. So when you think about creating jobs for people, you know, that are in, you know, education or childhood, um, early childhood, it's really difficult because they often go to platforms like ours and they want to work, uh, and they love the mission, but they can't because they don't have a vehicle, so they're turned down immediately. Uh, I think uh, one of the challenges that companies like Patricia's have is finding those right drivers. Uh, 
the business really hinges on parents trusting those drivers. Mm -hmm. And so um, companies like Patrice's need to actually develop their own system to evaluate and assess the trustability, if you, if you will, of drivers. And so, uh, you know, that's, that's something that it is key to, to the business model. Well, and it's so interesting, right? Because we were talking about Uber before that, um, you know, <clears throat> at, at first perhaps OEMs thought, oh, will Uber have people not buy cars? But we still need cars. Right. It might, the people that are owning cars might shift a bit, but we still need those cars to be, for Patrice at least, a really vital part of her business model. Um, and Miguel, I know you also mentioned things about location data and services and how we're using city data and all of that big data that is available to, you know, different parties and so forth. Um, GoNanny recently built an app to help schedule rides and facilitate the parent-nanny interaction, this thing that's core to the business of the GoNanny Safe system. Mm -hmm. um, talk to us a little bit about the GoNanny Safe system and training that you provide, Patrice. And mm -hmm. then talk to us a little bit about the guarantee you give your customers. And as you're talking about this, maybe we can weave back in, Miguel, and t thinking about you know the processes and the systems. And it's it's really coordinating a lot of different pieces, Patrice, for you, right? The mm -hmm. drivers, Absolutely. the safety, the training, and then the scheduling, and and then the cars on top of all of that. Right? That's where the rubber meets the road. <laughs> Absolutely. So I would say you know. Um, when we first created GoDanny, the first thing that we wanted to do is build trust. Um, combined, our team has over five decades of childcare experience. And so even when you are dropping your child off at a daycare center where there are numerous staff and, you know, over 40 and 50 kids in the location, there is still a hesitance, you know, in trusting and walking away from that environment, trusting that your child is going to be well taken care of. And so we, we, we've taken it to the extreme, right, of having a child in a car with um, a person by themselves and, you know, navigating that person from point A to point B. Uh, and then also having that person in your home without you there. You know, and so when we sat down and built GoNanny Safe, we wanted to build a system that was built on trust. And so when we find our goal, when we find our candidates, we screen them. We take them through a rigorous screening. Um, they, it's not only, you know, extensive background check, um, but it's also we check their social media presence and dig in to make sure that they are safe um, or, you know, that they have a, positive presence online. We also, you know, bring them into our office and we have one-on-one -on -one sessions with them, you know, to get to know them. We have coffee with them. We'll go out to lunch with them. This is all happening before they're onboarded to the platform. Um, with the other trainings, we actually do training for them. Um, the, one of the biggest challenges I've encountered working in nanny agencies is that you may hire a, a nanny or, you know, a caregiver. And the big, one of the biggest things that they don't know how to do is how to safely install a car seat 
or a booster seat according to the age, height, and weight of the child that they're caring for. And those are um, no That's joke. another training course that we give them. So this is all a part of GoNanny Space. Um, some of the things that I can't, you know, that is our secret sauce um, mm-hmm. that is still patent pending. But we really focus on trust and safety, right? And in order to know that, you got to test that person's skill set to make sure that they're fully equipped to be a GoNanny. And, and that is, I mean, I was actually talking to another mother friend of mine the other day and we were kind of joking that you have to have an engineering degree nowadays to like properly install (laughs) car seats i mean it is like and car seats are for a long time right in most states now you've got to have children in car seats until they're eight years old so it's it's a serious consideration so even when we travel, for example, you know, you've got to figure out, okay, how do you get your car seat from point A to point B? Do you rent a car seat? Do you install it properly? I mean, yeah, it's, yeah wow. So that alone is probably part, an important part of the patent pending process. It's funny, yeah, though, right? you're, you're talking about operational issues, which is really what uh, a lot of the startups face on a daily basis. And a lot of times they have such a hard time overcoming. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're talking about putting in the car seat uh, but what about cleaning the car? What about fueling it? Mm-hmm. What about the utilization perspective of those cars? Now, there's a lot that goes on that startups need to think about from an operation standpoint. That uh, that is difficult and challenging. Well, and I know Patrice, you've also talked to us, um, you know, prior to the show today about how the scheduling issues, right? So mm-hmm. if you've got this. Um, you know, team, this roster of GoNannies that are all kind of ready to go and helping people get from point A to point B, whether your kids are going to soccer practice or piano lessons or whatever it might be, but they've all got to coordinate this because, you know, you've got different times, you've got different amounts of um, car capability that you have. I mean, it's a lot of scheduling. Tell us a little bit more about that system and process and how how that works in your mobility ecosystem. Yeah, definitely. So, um, and, you know, I want to say this before I dive in, is that when you're building a company of this nature, um, they're at the core, it's a person, right? It, whether it's a child, a nanny, or a parent, it's a person. Um, and so the, the key to, you know, navigating even scheduling and understanding, you know, how we build our app was thinking about our users. And so, you know, for a nanny, how do we build a product that um, is user-friendly, but it also de-stresses their life, um, and it makes them feel comfortable, you know, to use technology, um, because a lot of people, you know, they're not engaging, you know, um, on uh, with technology every day at, at work, you know, or, you know, how does that work on the road? So um, for us, when we build our scheduling app, we wanted to take into consideration um, that our nannies are doing, you know, they're juggling a lot in terms of work. Um, they'll work with GoNanny for about, you know, 10 to 15 hours a week. And, you know, during the other times, they're either a full-time mom or, you know, a full-time um, student, you know, and they're using GoNanny to pay for their schooling. Um, and so um, on our platform, you're able to actually build out your own schedule. 
Um, and then we, you know, used our technology um, to, like a puzzle piece, you know, so we're constantly moving things and shifting things around the board, the big puzzle board, um, in order to make things work. But it's not just about their schedule, right? It's about their level of experience, their background, and which families they are a perfect fit, perfect fit for. So when you think about scheduling and you add in their availability, um, what their experience level is and their background, for instance, we do serve um, special needs children. And so we have to have nannies that have a background in that or go through go nannies training. Um, we have trained, um, you know, um, nannies on how to care for special needs kids, you know, wheelchair, getting the wheelchair in and out of the car if they're in a wheelchair, all of that. So it takes a lot of training. Um, so, But all of that goes into scheduling in order for us to find that perfect fit. It's not just about a safe ride, but it's also about the best fit for that family to make that child have a great experience. And I know you've said this several times, Patrice, but I also think the safety issue is a really big one, too. I mean, you really have embedded that in every piece of the business. Um, I know some agencies and some other companies are putting the onus back on families to have background checks done, but you actually oh. provide this through your system, right? So that's just Absolutely. part of what's baked in. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, one thing that I will say is that when you when you – invite anyone onto your platform it doesn't matter if it's a marketplace you know or you know a platform like ours i think that it's the responsibility of the company to know that person um i love knowing my people who's working for me what is your background you know what what did you do before go nanny um and i think it's critical to know if they are a safe person I, you know, every time someone joins our platform, we're recommending them. We're putting the GoDanny stamp of approval. When we actually take our GoDanny for training, when we first welcome them on board, we let them know that this title should be held to a high standard. You are a GoDanny, you know, and, and we share with them what that means, you know, what parents are expecting of them. So, yeah, we pay, you know, for extensive background checks. We, you know, do driver competence tasks, make sure that they're a safe driver on the road. Our, you know, administrators literally get in the car with the person and drive them throughout, drive with them throughout the city of Chicago. Um, and so I definitely think that that responsibility should be, you know, on the company to take, you know, to take care of. Patrice, one growth strategy that you've considered is working with an OEM to help you scale and why did you think this was valuable? Ah, uh, yes. So um, we, so it came to a point in our business where we had um, over 200 families waitlisted, um, and we were out in the city um, recruiting, and we kept turning away great people. Like I, I mean, we actually have a list of people that we turned down because they did not have a vehicle and they couldn't afford to own their own vehicle. And I think that that's key because when you think about mobility, you want to create access, right? Um, and in the childcare sector, um, childcare providers don't make enough of money 
um, in a city like Chicago to own their own vehicle. And I think that that's why the ride share, you know, industry is so important and more so the car sharing um, model of being able to have access to a vehicle when you need it. You know, if we were to able to provide access to a vehicle when any worker needed it, that would open up the door for them to apply for thousands of jobs that they couldn't apply for beforehand. Um, and so what, what we looked at is we said, okay, the barrier to entry to be a Zonani, the number one barrier was I do not have a car. If we could to provide them with access during the hours that they're working, then that would give them so much opportunity opportunity to go to school and pay for it, opportunity to put food on their table and provide for their family. Um, and so that's why I wanted to, you know, bridge that gap because the auto industry is missing out on a lot of opportunities when it comes to our workers and utilization. You know, imagine that vehicle sitting in a lot and no one's using it, but a go-nanny could book it out for three or four hours during the time that they're working and use it, and we get that utilization rate up, but also we increase jobs. Yeah, I would say uh, this is a bit of the chicken and the egg type challenge. When, when an OEM looks at this opportunity, and, and, and we know Lyft partnered with GM, for example, mm -hmm. to provide vehicles for a pretty reasonable uh, price per week. Mm -hmm. Two drivers that wanted to go onto the Lyft platform. I think, <clears throat> if I remember correctly, it was $250 per week or something like that. Mm -hmm. And that included insurance and uh, maintenance and those kinds of things. Uh, so Lyft had the scale to go to GM and say, hey guys, you know, we have all thousands and thousands of drivers that you know, would love to get a lease vehicle from, from GM. And so GM saw that opportunity and took it, and they're still working on, uh, together on that. And so I say it's a bit of the chicken and the egg because 10 drivers, 20 drivers, 30 drivers are not going to be interested, uh, interesting for an OEM. Mm. When you talk mm. about thousands, okay. then that becomes a, a proposition for an OEM that they say, hmm, okay, let's look into it. Um, so uh, from the OEM perspective, just... Sure. understand that that's a bit of the way they look at that leasing business. What other metrics or, or things would um, a startup think about if they're approaching an OEM? What kinds of things should they be thinking about? Um, yes. Because, <laughs> I, I mean, I would, I would guess it's not just numbers, right? I mean, numbers are a, a metric. Absolutely. But I would guess they're not the only and metric. And they may not be a determinative metric if there are other things in place. So, and and, and it's, it's an OEM. It's a large investor, like sure. a SoftBank. It's a venture capital firm. Uh, what do startups need to present to those potential investors? And you guys are angel investors, so you know some of this. Uh, to make a, an appealing argument for them to invest or co-invest or partner in some way. Uh, and this is actually part of the uh, Moborg advisory that I'm uh, starting today, which is uh, you know, helping some of these startups think through mm -hmm. how do we engage our potential investors? How do we think about a business case? How do we think about those key metrics? So 
you first and foremost need to put yourself in the executive's uh, seat, in their shoes, and think about what are they going to be looking at. If you're a VC, they're going to be looking at uh, investing in uh, companies that align to their strategic intent, whether it is technology or healthcare or mobility or whatever. Uh, that's point number one. If it's an OEM, uh, you obviously know that the core business is selling cars, but you also need to fully understand what else have they put out there? How, what else have they talked about in their vision? Uh, is it relationships with cities? Is it relationships with uh, AV companies? Is it relationships with um, telco providers? How have these companies, OEMs and otherwise, have put out a vision where you see your company fitting in. Uh, I think it is critical to communicate how your startup would fit in that vision for that OEM. And talking to this executive and saying, hey, look, we know that you have a shuttle service. And by the way, your shuttle service has a lot of downtime because you, know, you only use those shuttles in the morning, uh, in the afternoon, and in, in the evening. And so there's a match because our business model potentially utilizes those shuttles off peak when you use them. And so that would, that would actually be interesting for, for someone that owns a shuttle business. In the case of uh, uh, Patrice's business, uh, you, know, you see peaks in the morning, you see peaks in the afternoon right after school uh, where you pick up the kids and then maybe take them to you know, classes, and then you see a peak at the end of, of the class which is similar mm -hmm. to the shuttles. Right. So, so in that particular case, it wouldn't quite jive. But you get my point, which is you need to mm -hmm. study and understand what the vision for that OEM or, or, or the company is for you to pitch to that vision. Uh, and then, okay. yes, you have to have the business case metrics. What are your five-year projections? What are your, what's your cash flow? What are you know, your expectations on... Uh, revenue and those kinds of things. And then once you start getting into a deeper conversation, any company will look at, you know, what's your recurrent revenue? Uh, what, what's your customer turnover? In the particular case of Patrice, what is the driver turnover? Because drivers are key to her business model. Uh, and obviously, how are you growing your customer base? It's really interesting, Patrice, when you mentioned that you do have a wait list of many, many different families. Uh, there's got to be a way to unlock that bottleneck, uh, being an OEM or otherwise. Uh, that's actually a good position to be in, but something that you actually have to act pretty quickly mm -hmm. on, because these mm -hmm. parents, these parents are not going to wait too long. Mm -hmm. uh, they're going to go to some somebody else. Right. You know, there's Zoom and there's Shepherd and there's Bubble and there's many other companies. Um, so we, an executive will also look at what is the competitive environment. Uh, is there a practical need? Any parent, as we said at the beginning, will relate to a kind of business like this. Like, oh yes, I could use that, right? Uh, which are not numbers, as you were saying earlier, or there. Those are things that are more intuitive, more on a human basis, as you were saying, Patrice, on a human basis, what are some of those things that intuitively you sort of seek out? And the startups need to think, are we providing the answer? There may be some questions they have, but they need to be assertive, they need to be providing answers to the potential questions that you know these companies or these potential investors may have. So tell us a little bit about the OEM landscape, right? So I know um, some pieces of advice that I have heard have been, for example, 
Um, make sure that you're reading the company reports. Look at you know initiatives that are coming out. Certainly, obviously, you know, look at people's websites and stalk them on on social media. I mean, those you know, kind of the the standard um, places that you would do research on a company. But there are initiatives inside of OEMs. There are projects inside of OEMs. There's other things that people might be looking for that they might think, gosh, this makes sense to me. But how do I find out if they're interested in this? How would you suggest for a startup to do that kind of research? What does no, that look it, like? It really is a challenge, especially for big, big companies. Yeah. Because they're so big that- And the OEMs are huge, right? The OEMs are huge. Uh, you don't know if product strategy- I mean, we're talking automotive OEMs. And mobility here. strategy and market strategy, are they the same? Are there different departments? Are there different people? It's really, really hard. Uh, a good tool nowadays is LinkedIn. Sure. Uh, do you have a- an acquaintance, a friend, uh, a friend of a friend that could start explaining what that organization looks like and who might be the best person to contact uh, and start your, your engagement with. Uh, but it is difficult, uh, no doubt about it. Patrice, I know you had had questions directly for Miguel. Do you, are there specific things that you want to know about pitching to OEMs or trying to find those kind of partnerships? Absolutely. So, Miguel, you touched on this a little bit, but if you could go into more detail about how an OEM um, would look like, look at a company like O'Nanny, like what metrics or thresholds do we need to break in order to, you know, get access to that level of a company? Yeah. So, for, I think, think for, first and foremost is, does it align with the vision, the strategic vision that the company has? Second, okay. does it complement the solution portfolio that, that I have today? Um, mm -hmm. In the case of transportation for children, um, I think that's a higher hurdle for a company, for an OEM, for example, because you have to go a level deeper from, say, a shuttle business or an AV business or a micro-mobility business like a scooter, right? Uh, it's not going to be as easily understood how is it that an OEM can actually benefit from a business of transporting children. Uh, and by the way, the OEM will think about what's the liability, you know, what's that utilization of vehicles, uh, the driver problem. If any of these OEMs had a shuttle business, they will understand that the drivers are a huge operational challenge. Uh, and the OEM will want to know, um, am I carrying the cost and, and the assets of uh, having vehicles on the books? Or is this something that I'm going to be selling as a fleet? Uh, you know, what's sort of my relationship with this particular startup? Um, those are some of the things that they will look at. Uh, and then, as I mentioned before, the, the growth trajectory of this business. If, if, say, the OEM went through all those steps and said, oh, this still looks like a great, great business for us, uh, they will look at the growth trajectory and then the investment required for that growth trajectory to actually become real. Mm -hmm. uh, if it's you know, two million or a hundred million or whatever it is, uh, how is it that at that point in time that OEM needs to step in and fund this company? Those are some of the things, Patrice. Thank you so much. Um, I ha I did have um, another question, Miguel. Mm -hmm. um, 
once once I get, you know, to pitch to a company of this size and share more about, you know, GoNanny and its um, opportunities, what advice would you give me in presenting our value? How would I present that to a company of this size? As far as your value proposition? Sure. Yeah, again, I think it's weaving it into how is it that my business, as small as it may be today, helps you, big company, to achieve the vision you have. If mobility as a service is your vision, then transporting children should be part of that. Let me tell you how that fits in. It fits in because you have shuttles and we benefit from that. It fits in because you want to maintain your brand recognition in the market and this is the way to do that. Uh, it fits in because it uh, requires just a tiny bit of investment for a huge ROI down three years, four years, five years in the future. And so you just have to really be assertive uh, in the way that, again, your business, and the key takeaway here is, how does your business fit within their vision? Well, the, okay. other, the other thing that occurs to me, Miguel, would be maybe also solving problems. Like one of the things that I've seen uh, just from reading industry you know, news is that um, automotive OEMs have found that the, the market for sedans has gone way down, right? Mm -hmm. And the market for SUVs is kind of continually rising. Right. So, you know, maybe part of the pitch would be, and I don't know, I'm making this up, right? But hey, you've got all these sedans that haven't been selling or haven't been sold. Like, could we make them cool by putting them in conjunction with a company? Or, or I would flip that. Okay. Or I would say, yeah. hey, you're getting rid of sedans, great, because we, our business actually uses SUVs mm. because we're transporting three, four, six children in the vehicle. So an SUV would be perfect. And how great, how great would it be market. if you were seen as the trusted brand from transporting, for from transporting children? Mm -hmm. uh, right? yeah. Um, so it so takes just looking it, at those things it, and looking kind of at figuring those things. out how to position yourself. Um, right, and then you know you have to understand the mobility ecosystem as well. Just are you going to put more cars on the road? Are you going to create greater congestion? These are some of the questions that Lyft and Uber are dealing with. Are you creating more emissions? Are you creating more congestion? Uh, are you a pain in the cities behind uh, when they're trying to pass regulation, when they're trying to limit congestion, when they're trying to limit emissions. Uh, you know, how are you working with that with that partner? Or are you solving problems? Or are you solving problems that the city is going to be like, wow, yeah, come on in, right? Mm -hmm. Or people are going to see and you'll be able to promote, hey, I'm reducing emissions, I'm reducing congestion. I'm reducing congestion because you now, parent, don't have to get a new car and drive your children. I'll do that for not only you, but six Five others. Five other parents, yeah. Right? And so therefore, yeah. I'm reducing congestion, I'm reducing emissions, uh, and I'm making the world a better place, as cliche as, as that sounds. <laughs> but th those, th those, those are elements of a pitch that would be appealing, that would be uh, getting you to the next step of this type of conversations. That brings me actually to my next question. Uh, Miguel, have you seen a successful OME pitch um, in, a, in an investment? Um, and then what's your opinion, you know, on what actually made that one successful? Yeah, so um, 
I would highlight an investment that my prior employer made on a scooter company. Uh, it's public information that it was announced on uh, in November of last year. Uh, and that's a company that fit from the vision perspective from what my prior employer was trying to do with mobility. It fit from a vision perspective. They pitched a uh, very clear and assertive way in how scooters fit with the, 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 the vision of that OEM and how scooters were actually solving a huge problem, which is the movement that happens between zero and three miles, right? Uh, that movement in urban centers typically happens with vehicles, which then leads to congestion and emissions and all those things we're talking about. But if you use a scooter, it is cheaper for you, faster. Uh, there are some things around safety and uh, hazards. Uh, but if you use it in a conscious way, it gets you, it gets you to, to your destination in a much faster way, in a more economical way. Uh, that product pays for itself uh, within a few uh, days. Um, and so all of those were elements of the pitch that we said, that makes a lot of sense. If we want to improve the environment, invest in a business that has a potential to grow significantly over the next few years, uh, it doesn't require a lot of investment on our part. The founders are passionate. They know the technology. They know the space. Let's look into it further. Okay. Got it. Um, and you mentioned earlier, you know, the risk involved um, in partnering with a company like ours, you know, when you're moving children from point A to point B. What are some of the drawbacks um, for for OEMs um, to work with startups and, and partnerships? Uh, one of the big ones is uh, reputational. So say something happens, you know, knock on wood, it won't, but something happens to a rider on one of these scooters, the company will hit a reputational uh, hit. And so that's, uh, that's a big uh, concern. Liability is a big concern. Um, I'd say those are the major ones. OEMs right now are at a stage where they're, they are investing into uh, this trial and error startup uh, environment. They understand not all of the plays that they make will pan out. Uh, they also understand that you know, some of the plays they're making have a huge potential. Uh, and I forgot to mention something on the, on the earlier question. Unit economics, also key to an evaluation for, for a potential transaction. From a startup perspective, do you think there's a downside for startups to partner with OEMs? I mean, for example, one of the things that we talk about to startup founders quite a bit is to really choose your investors wisely, mm -hmm. right? Because you want folks that are going to see the same vision that you do, that are gonna allow you to execute that vision, that aren't gonna try to take over and move you in a different <clears throat> direction, um, and all sorts of other potential downfalls. Mm -hmm. Do you think they're the same with OEMs? Are there other other drawbacks that startups should think about? Uh, I would think about how limiting that relationship is going to be. Mm -hmm. um, and, and be really sure that if you are actually establishing that relationship, that it's not going to be constraining to what you want to do with your business. 
mm-hmm. and you, that's why you see many, many different startups taking investment from many companies. They don't want to commit to one, right? Um, you do see the entire spectrum. So some that take investment from pretty much anyone, some that are looking for an acquisition uh, right. where they line up to say an AV company to an OEM because they see that their startup is going to really take a lot of investment and they see a huge synergy with an OEM that can provide the vehicle uh, for them to you know, do the testing and um, the trial and error and those kinds of things. So it runs the spectrum. I would just say, just make sure if you're establishing a, an exclusive relationship that you are convinced that it is uh, for the benefit of your business. It's not going to, it's not going to constrain you for, from a growth perspective, markets, all the potential investments that may have technology that you need, uh, and those kinds of things. Patrice, any other questions for Miguel? That was it. Cool. Lots of good insight there, Miguel. And, Thank you. And it is an exciting space. It's an emerging, evolving, exciting space, mobility. Yeah, yeah, and from a parent perspective, GoNanny has got some really <laughs> great value um, proposition there too. You know, let me know when you come to DC. <laughs> exactly. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, Christina, tell us a little bit about what made you want to invest in GoNanny. Wow, there's so many reasons. So GoNanny was actually my first investment. And I invested for a few reasons. One, I love Patrice's story around, you know, kind of the multi-generational company working with her sister and her mother who have all been in the childcare care uh, industry, really passionate about it. Um, so just the energy and her passion to transform this industry was, um, was amazing. I also uh, performed the due diligence on her company, and the feedback that I received on Patrice and how she was approaching the business was very strong. Um, Patrice was literally hitting the pavement to capture customer insights and impact and signing up uh, potential families early on. Um, And she talked earlier about a backlog of about 200 families. Obviously, that shows that this is in demand. Um, I, as a working mom, often race my kids shuttle them between activities. I, as Miguel mentioned, I can't wait for GoNanny to come to the D.C. <laughs> metro area to use it. Um, and then I also, you know, as we were going through the due diligence, Patrice ended up actually launching her business early because of the demand. And I appreciated her approach and diligence on creating a team, putting a team together, uh, really focusing on the customers, which she mentioned are the children. She mentioned the families. She mentioned the go-nannies themselves. And then one element that we didn't touch on are school administrators. You know, she's got Mm -hmm. a B2C and a B2B model. Uh, And so I just think there's so much potential in the business. Um, While there is risk, we talked about, you know, the trustworthiness of, um, you know, being in the ride-sharing industry, particularly with kids. I do think Patrice is helping to mitigate that and really thinking through her partnership strategy. So those are just a few of the reasons <laughs> I decided to uh, invest in GoNanny, but I'm really proud, Patrice, of your uh, progress to date. Um, is this the third year, second year? What year of business? Second year. Second year. Second year. And so, and so much has happened, and so just congratulations on the journey. Thank you. So, you know, I want to, if I can, just summarize today's conversation, which Miguel and Patrice, thank you so much for 
being on the show, just a lot of information. And, you, you know, the mobility space we knew was exciting, but I think you really excited us even more. Um, you know, we talked about mobility moving us from point A to point B, whether it's a car or a shuttle or a bus, bike, or as Miguel mentioned, a scooter. <laughs> um, for automotive companies, we're seeing such disruption in this area, you know, an area that has been pretty predictable for the last 100 years. And we talked about how OEMs partner with and often invest in startups to help accelerate entry into a market. And Aurelia Miguel, you mentioned um, and discussed some of today's most interesting partnerships between hardware companies, software, telecom companies, and automotive, automotive companies. We, all, we heard trees highlight Go Nanny and really bring a level of trust to ride sharing for, again, parents, families, and schools. And one challenge Patrice mentioned was a lack of automobiles for some of childcare's most stellar nannies. And so as Go Nanny explores ways to scale, Patrice talked with Miguel about what it means to really pitch to an OEM. Uh, Miguel brought up a, a few really good points. I'm going to try and summarize a few here. But one I want to make sure is clear to our listeners is that OEMs get inbound inquiries every single day. And so it's really important to try and stand out and make sure that you're honing your message for the person that you're contacting. And so one is knowing who the best person to contact is, to contact within that OEM. Do, does your business align with that OEM strategy? Ask questions and really listen to what the OEM is doing, what their plan is for growth and scale, and better understand what efforts they're undergoing at the moment, understand the challenges that they're facing, and then be able to articulate clearly how your business would be a good complement to their strategy. Show them how you can help them grow, and also show them how you can mitigate risk. OEMs are known uh, for their partnerships and investment, and they know that not all their investments will pan out, but they're willing to take a risk if you can help them understand how you can de-escalate that. And also, again, just know your value proposition. On both sides, OEMs and startups need to determine if the relationship will help accelerate growth or potentially limit growth. So there are possibilities on both sides. But again, Miguel and Patrice, we really appreciate your time today. Uh, thank you for providing such great insight to our listeners. And Miguel, we'll start with you. How can our listeners find you on social media? Absolutely. So our listeners, first of all, let me just say that was a beautiful synthesis. So thank you. Uh, our listeners can find me through www.mobork, and that's M-O-B-O-R-K.com, and my email and uh, information is posted there, uh, and I'll be happy to continue the conversation. It is a super exciting space, as we were discussing, uh, with more to come, and uh, organizations today do need some uh, assistance and support uh, along the way, so happy to continue the conversation on mobility. Great. Thank you. And Patrice, how can our listeners find you? Our website is www.meetgonanny.com. Um, my information is posted there. You can also tweet me um, at gonanny.co. Um, and then I am, um, we do, we are on uh, Facebook as well as gonanny.co. Great. Thank you. And for our listeners, please continue to listen to future episodes of Get Found, Get Funded. You can reach us on Instagram and Twitter and LinkedIn. And we look forward to uh, talking with you on a future episode. Thank you.